You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Thank you for that. Um, I, I enjoy coming out here. I get the privilege to come out once a year, and uh, James and Sean are such good friends, as has been mentioned, and uh, you know, they inspire me the way they continue to pursue Jesus. Their love for God is incredibly inspiring to me, and uh, the, the ups and the downs, these are two people that you're very fortunate to have the pastor and wife you have here. They just, they go after God, and uh, it's an inspire, inspiration to us every time we come. Um, you know, my... I came to Arizona. I used to live in Arizona years ago, and uh, I had my life changed last night uh, in two ways. Uh, one, I was accused of being from a place I'm not actually from, Shauna. Um, and t- two, I think La Casita changed my life. <laughs> that Mexican food was, I might be the best I've ever had. I don't know what it was. Something in that food is amazing. And I had to restrict myself from licking the plate. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was this close to licking the plate when I was done. I thought it was so good. I don't know what it is. They put something in that food that, man, that's like, I know, James, I'm feeling you, man. I was like, goodness, good. So uh, my, my privilege to be here with you this morning. Can we just open up in prayer and then we'll get started? So God, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege. And, uh, and your presence is here. Your presence is felt. Your presence is, is palpable here. Um, thank you for the good work you're doing through this great church here in Oracle, Lord. I thank you for the lives that are touched. We thank you for Melissa's story this morning. What a, what a great story, God. That's the best message that could be preached is what she said. That's where it's all about, Lord. It's love seeing the lives transformed. Thank you, Lord. We pray blessing on her life and what you're doing there in her family. Uh, I thank you, God, for the privilege of sharing. Um, may, may our hearts be open and may our ears be tuned to what you want to say uh, to us this morning. Help us move a little closer to you. Uh, feel a little freer and become the little fuller expression of who you made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So one word that describes how you feel this morning. If you were going to put your, the way you feel right now, like your state of being this morning, what would be one word that would describe that? Let me just, just shout them out. Just shout them out. I like to interact with you a little bit, so let me hear. Let me hear some of your thinking. Some people are happy. Is anybody grumpy today? Is the well, we got at least one honest grump in here. Thank you for being honest. I'm going to come down there closer to you guys because I like, uh, some of you look like you have your grumpy pants on, and I've just got to come down and check up on you guys down here. So um, just, just one, one more word. How you feel, good or bad? Like your, your, your state, tired, some of your tires, a little bit of everything across the board, right? Well, I hope you'll feel encouraged when we're done. I hope after the time we spend looking at the psalm we're going to look at, that you are encouraged that God is speaking to you. Maybe there's places in your life that God wants to bring some more freedom and some more connection. Um, so let's, before I get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about my own background and my personal relationship with mountains. I love mountains. I grew up in northern Colorado, northwest Colorado, Fort Collins. I went to high school in Fort Collins, Colorado. It is a beautiful place. If you've ever been there, maybe some of you have been there. You know the area. Estes Park, Loveland, that whole area. I grew up and ran that area as a teenager, as a kid. I left there in my early 20s. I actually came to Arizona for 10 years. 
But I love the mountains, and there was something about going up into the mountains that was so freeing. The higher you would climb in a mountain, the more majestic it was, or, or the, the scenery is just breathtaking. You know, we skied. If you're from Colorado, you almost have to ski, right? So the mountains are just amazing, and the ski resorts are beautiful up there. And there's some of those ski resorts that are, there are lifts that take you to lifts that take you to lifts, and you can get in some places, depending on the resort, where you can just see for miles and miles these peaks. And there's something I think so majestic and beautiful about being in the mountains. Now, we live in San Diego, which we love very much. My wife is a beach person. I'm the mountain, so we try to find balance between both. But uh, we're fortunate to be like 30 miles from the beach, so that's nice too. But I enjoy the mountain. I enjoy being on mountains. And as I was, in fact, as I was preparing for this message, I guess kept thinking about mountains. It just was resonating for me. Mountains. What is it about mountains? And I came across a story. It's actually a tragic story. So um, I want to share you the story of this professional, world-renowned climber and the tragic story of an experience that this guy uh, had lived out. Uh, I'm just going to read you a little bit of an article that was written about him. His name is Yuli Steck, and I'm going to read you his tragic story. On the evening of April 29th, roughly 15 hours before world-renowned alpinist Yuli Yuli Steck died in a fall in Nepal last month, he sent a text message by satellite phone to his climbing partner. The pair had planned to climb a part of Everest that day, an important step in getting ready for their next climb. They had frostbite. April, some of them had had frostbite, so it was difficult. Steck was at a certain camp. Uh, they called it base camp alone. And he sent a, tech to, a text message to his friend at 5 p.m. At 5 p.m. In it, Steck had decided to climb the following morning and said that he would return to base camp to meet his other friends from Switzerland. Now, the other guy that was with Steck tried to respond. He sent to this text. So Steck had sent out this text saying, I'm going to climb this mountain. And the next day, he was waiting for, his friend was waiting for a response. And this is his friend's response. His friend says, are you going to climb alone or are you going to climb with friends? Steck never replied to that text. Around 8 a.m. the next morning, April 30th, his friend said he was praying at base camp waiting for his friend when he received a call from a friend and a fellow person that a third person had seen a climber fall approximately 3,000 feet down the north face. Climbers soon confirmed it was Steck having found his body between camps one and camps two. Nearly a month later, still no one knew at the time what had caused Steck to lose his footing on the face that day. People surmised that he had slipped a shocking but hardly impossible fate even for Steck, who at age 40 professed to be in the best shape of his career. Tragic story. Professional, world-renowned mountain climber. They, they assume he slipped. And that's the thing that's, that's, that's amazing about mountains and climbing and rock climbing. It can be beautiful, but it can also be very dangerous. There's a beauty and a danger combined in traversing mountains. Uh, have you, any of you ever been to Yosemite? Northern California, some of the most beautiful mountain ranges are in Yosemite. Uh, my wife and I were there last April in the springtime, and there's still a great deal of snow and ice up there. Let me show you a couple of pictures. This is some of the scenery. That was a picture of Yuli Steck who had passed away. Um, this is some of the scenery that we would see, like in the part of Yosemite we were in. It's breathtaking. The waterfalls, there's all these beautiful natural waterfalls throughout different faces of Yosemite. And this is some of the scenery that we got to see. Next picture shows you another, I think, down just some of the canyons we could see. And this next picture, it's not very clear, but 
it's, it's kind of my outline. I'm climbing up some stairs right there. I'm, I've got a coat on. I've got a hat on. Can't see it really well. But what's interesting is we're climbing up this staircase that is covered in ice. This is in late April at Yosemite. Uh, you know, we were so motivated to get to climb and ascend this hill, but they really recommended, one, you've got to wear really good shoes, and one, they, and they, two, they're like, maybe you shouldn't even be doing this, but we're like, let's go a little higher. Let's push it a little bit more. Let's just be really careful. And climbing those stairs, like you had to be really low to the stairs to just try to climb and creep up those stairs. But the, view, the views were amazing. Like some of those pictures I took were from that. It was just breathtaking and beautiful. But that, 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 the treacherous climbing up those icy stairs for the views reminded, got me thinking about, I was remembering this moment of climbing and I was thinking about how that is so much like our life with God. Your life with God in some ways is like climbing and traversing a mountainside. Climbing higher and higher and getting closer and moving more into all that God has for our life. But along the way, we've got to be careful of slipping, of falling, uh, of those ice patches that can be out there. There's, a, there, there's, there's these dangerous patches. And this morning, I want to help you identify the potential for one really dangerous ice patch in our life as we ascend the hill of God in our own life. Now, maybe you're new here and you, you're not connected to Jesus. That's totally okay. You're so welcomed here in this space. Maybe you just and listen. I encourage you just to open up and hear maybe what God's saying to you. Um, but let me show you a verse out of Psalm 24. Take a look at this verse. It's reminded me of the metaphor. This is Psalm 24. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and they don't tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Now, you can read that verse and think, well, I just have to do a bunch of good stuff and then God will love me. That's not at all what the verse means. But there's this idea between the stuff that is in our hearts, the purity in us, the, the, the stuff that rolls around inside of us, and our ability to connect with God in a pure way. There's a really big difference. Because in life, we go through stuff, and, and, and our hearts get hurt and wounded and bitter, and all kinds of stuff can come in there, and that stuff can prevent us from truly connecting with God. The good news is it's not dependent on us to clean up the heart. Like, I can't be good enough to receive God's favor. I'm not that, I'm not that smart. I'm not that competent. But God himself has the ability to go in and clean that heart and give us access to him in new ways. And, and, and the mountain of God is just a really good metaphor for movement towards God, becoming the fullest expression of who he built you to be. Um, this morning, we're going to look at a, the Psalm 73. And Psalm 73 was written by a musician. And this musician is going to tell us his story of almost slipping on that mountain, losing, almost losing his footing as he was ascending his own hill with God. So let's take a look at Psalm 73. Um, if you haven't grabbed your outline, you may want to grab that. If you need a pen, I'm going to ask you to track along with me with a pen. Uh, that, I'm going to point out some specific things in these verses. So if, I think we have pens. If you need a pen, I'll bet we could get pens to you. If you need a pen, maybe just put your hand. Like we got somebody back there with a pen. Does anybody? We have one need over here. Because I'm going to ask you to circle and underline certain parts of the verses today that I think are impactful for what we're going to talk about. So anybody else need a pen? You got one? Okay. I'm going to invite you to, to go through this with me. So let's walk through this psalm, and let's look for the, the almost slippage of the psalmist. As this psalmist is ascending his own hill with God, watch how he almost slips. Watch how he catches himself, and watch how he recovers, because there's something for each of us, I think, in this. So the first couple of verses, the psalmist says this. 
Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, well, you might want to underline this, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. So there's a connection here. The goodness of God, how the purity of heart, I find a connection to God, but I almost slipped. I almost lost my footing. Have you ever been? Now, I know you don't get a lot of ice here in Arizona, but in Colorado, or I lived in Iowa for five years, and in cold climates, or if you've been up in mountains, you, you know how treacherous ice can be, right? You could just, it's just really uncomfortable to lose your footing. It's scary, right? So it's, it's, again, it's a really good picture of our life with God. There's things we've got to traverse, and there's ice out there on the hill as we ascend. But let's look at what this, what this psalmist is saying. So before I say any more, but let me remind you one thing. I'm going to annoy you with a little bit of English grammar real quick. Uh, how many want to go back to English grammar class for just a minute? Nobody does. I don't blame you. Um, when you read the Bible, it's good to pay attention to pronouns. Pronouns, maybe you remember from school, the eyes, the they, the we, the you, the them. Those are the pronouns because the pronouns are telling you something about the perspective of the author. The author is teaching us something through the pronouns. Pronouns are a part of the sentence structure that helps us identify what the psalmist is trying to talk to us about. So what we're going to do is we're going to circle the pronouns and look for what the psalmist is trying to teach us through this psalm. So let's look at the first set of verses here, and let's look for some pronouns in here. So this is what the psalmist says. For I, Verse 2 again, I lost my footing, my feet were slipping, I was almost gone, and then he's going to tell us what happened. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Do you hear some of the pronouns there? The them prosper, their wickedness. You might circle those, the thems, the theys. How many do you count there? They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They are not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with, cruel, themselves with cruelty. These fat cats, I like that description. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and they speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. And who does not, who does, who does God, what, excuse me, what does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. What is the most common pronoun in those verses that you see there? The they, the them, the their. Where is the focus of the psalmist in verses 3 through 12? It's on others. The them, the they, the their. And we're going to watch how when the psalmist, who almost slipped, almost lost his footing, began to look around at other people, what they're doing, what they're doing, what they're doing. Can you relate to that at all? Do you ever find yourself uh, in situations where you're comparing yourself? You're looking at what other people do, what other people get. Hey, wait a minute, what about that? That's not fair. That's not right. It can be this process in life where, where our emphasis can be so much on what other people are doing. And that's exactly the slippage that the psalmist is beginning to experience. The focus of the psalmist is on them. It's on other people. 
verses 13 through 16. Now watch the pronouns change here. We have the, the they, the them, the there. Now watch what happens in verses 13 through 16. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? He asks. Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had only really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. And where is the focus of the psalmist? What's the most common pronoun? I. It's interesting. If you follow the thread of the psalm, it went about them, they, them, them. Look at them, look at them, look at them. To, what about me? It's fair. What about me? They get all the good stuff. I never get any stuff. I didn't get that. I wasn't born into a good family. I was born into a horrible situation. You don't know what I've been through. What about me? And there's this sort of focus from what people are doing to what to myself. You see that you see the, the and, and again the slippage begins. This is where this no, this is if, if you're not a Jesus follower, like this may be totally new to you, but those of us that have decided to make Jesus the Lord, the one we're following, this is we really gotta beware because it's really tempting to shift our focus from what people do to this almost victim mindset of me. Look at me. What about me? It's not fair. It's not right. And my goodness, I can identify with this in my own story. Uh, as a pastor, ministry is very hard. It's very, very hard work. And a lot of times you get criticized. People misunderstand you. Uh, people blame you. You feel the financial pressure of a church. Uh, so I was in a season, like, it was a very, very hard season as a pastor, uh, probably within the last six months. And I found myself identifying with this psalmist. I was looking around, because I'm the guy in my role, I get all the complaints. I get all of them. Lots, and we get lots. I mean, every church gets them. It just happens. Um, and I began to listen to the complaints more and focus on some problems we were having on our staff and behavior issues. And all of a sudden, I just started slipping from the, man, look at what they're doing and look at what they're doing. And poor me, God, Lord, don't you know, I'm working so hard here. I'm being so, I think I'm being faithful to everything that you're asking me for. Come on. It just isn't fair. This just isn't right. And I began to slip. I felt that slippage in my own life. I began to shift my focus from what people were doing to myself. And then watch what happens, right? Can you identify with that at all? Can you relate? Have you found yourself ever doing that? Again, from what they're doing to, ooh, what about me? And you watch how this thing plays out. So, question, what's the reaction of the psalmist in those verses? How would you describe the reaction of the psalmist in those verses we just read? What do you think? Victim. That's a good word to describe it. There's almost this victimhood that comes over this person. Now, I don't mean to diminish people's pain. Let me be very clear here. People go through hard things, and life can be extremely difficult. So in no way am I minimizing. If you've been through hard things, I've been through hard things in my own life, so I really get that. But, but there's this difference between staying in this place of victimization and never being able to move past that. But watch what happens to the psalmist. Verse 17 is the most important verse in this entire passage. Verse 17 is the game-changing verse. And I picture it like this psalmist is climbing the mountain. He's putting his foot in and he's moving, kind of like we were at Yosemite. I think of that picture, climbing. And, um, and then all of a sudden he starts slipping. You know, he's losing his footing. He's stepping on ice and he's sliding down. And then all of a sudden he gets his feet. And this is what he does. This is really important. Verse 17, you might underline this. Then, that then is really important because it's the tone of, this, of the psalm is going to change. Then... 
I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. What did the psalmist do? How did the psalmist catch his footing? He went right back to God. He went right back to God. Then I went into your sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary, symbolically, at this time, at the time this text would have been, was written, would have been about the temple. Now, the temple symbolized in the Old Testament, or what? It was an actual, there was an actual temple, and it was symbolic of the place where God's presence was. So it was there the people of the Old Testament would go and, in a sense, experience the presence of God through the priestly process of how that, things worked in those days. So it's almost as though the psalmist is saying, I was looking at other people, I started focusing on myself, but then I caught myself and I said, whoa, time out, call the time out. I need to go back to the sanctuary of God. And watch how the psalmist's perspective will change when he makes that shift to return to God's presence, back into the presence of God, pursuit of who God is. Watch what happens. So, well, let me just say, let me just, let's just look at verse 18. Watch how the psalmist begins, after he makes that decision, that action, to return to the presence of God, watch how the enlightenment goes off in his mind. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the, over the cliff to destruction. And it's interesting that the verbiage here is, is using the idea of slippery. Like he's saying at first, like I almost slipped. And now as he's pursuing God again, he's recognizing, whoa, wait, wait a minute. They're actually on a slippery ground. Not like in a celebrating people suffering way, but in a, oh my gosh, people who are disconnected from God are actually on the slippery slope. It's a slippery slope to live your life disconnected from God. That's a really important idea. And that'll work for a season. But you and I were built and made to be connected to God. You know, Genesis chapter 1 talks about the imago Dei, the image of God. We were built to be like him. We were made in God's image. You exactly as you are, you were made in the very image of God. And it's as though, I think C.S. Lewis said, the fuel, God is the fuel we were built to run on. And you can run through life without that fuel in your own source of strength, and you'll get by for a while you're really missing out on the flourishing life, who you were invited to really be. And the psalmist has recognized this, that the life that's disconnected from God is actually the slippery life. Let's keep reading. Watch the perspective. In an instant, they are destroyed completely. They're swept away by terrors. In other words, people who are disconnected from God, they're wrestling with fear. When you arise, O God, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Now, listen to this, guys. You might want to underline, circle. Then I realized, here's his awakening. My heart was bitter. My heart was bitter. This is the core problem. I was all torn up on the inside. I was foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. That is huge. Remember at the very beginning of the first couple of verses, we looked at how the purity of heart relates to the connection to God. There's something about our heart being pure. What does that really mean? That means that there's this, this open, honest connection to God from here. It doesn't mean I have it, I've got my life together, I've got it all figured out. It means that I'm bringing the real stuff to God and allowing God to work those things out. You know, I, I started seeing this, as I was saying in my own journey, little seeds of bitterness started creeping. That's the thing about bitterness. It's subtle. 
you know, we go through stuff in life. And, and again, I do not mean to diminish pain because I know people have suffered greatly in life in really hard ways. And I've been my own journey. Um, but there's a temptation to allow that bitterness to come in. And it's like a seed. It's like a poison that can get down in our hearts are kind of like soil. It's like a field. Jesus would use the analogy of a field and seeds a lot in the New Testament. And it's like bitterness gets planted and it starts to mushroom into our life. And it's, it's as though it distorts our ability to see, our ability to connect with God, our, our, our perception of who God really is. And it's almost like we get disoriented. That's what bitterness does. And that's what happened to the psalmist. It's a really, really practical psalm. He's teaching us, look, I almost lost my footing. I allowed my heart to get bitter. But what did he do? What was the action he took in verse 17? Remember on the previous verse, what did he do? He returned to God. In spite of how he felt, in spite of what he looked around and saw, in spite of his state of being, he returned to God. That is a really, really important idea. So on the path to reaching higher, becoming more of all that God wanted the psalmist to be, he avoided the bitterness, slippage of bitterness. Now look at the last few verses here of the psalm, 23 through 28. He says, now look at his perspective has changed. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Look how his, his hope has returned. Do you see that in the verse? Think about where he was at before. He's like, does God even care? Does God even know? Look around, look around. But look here in this verse. It's like his hope has been restored, leading me to a glorious. God's got a good future for me. God's not forgotten me. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Look how his hunger for God is returning. That's so important. And it all came from that verse 17 move of returning to the sanctuary, returning to God, coming back to God. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God is the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I love that. How good it is to be. That's the presence. Remember we talked about the presence, going back to the temple, being near him. How good that is. His perspective has returned. I have made the sovereign Lord my what? He's my shelter. He's my protection. He's the one. I run under his wing, and I will tell everyone about your wonderful things that you do. Can you relate to the psalmist's story in any way? So easy to look around, compare um, my life to your life, your life to my life, that life. Then there's this inward focus and if, we're not, if we don't take that verse 17 moment of catching our footing, recognize we're slipping down the slope, we're falling down the mountain, that God has got a great hope and a future. But if we allow that little seeds of bitterness to come in there, it can distort everything. And the beauty is you see how his perspective has completely renewed. And his appetite for God is kind of stirred up again. You know, sometimes in following Jesus, or you're like, I don't feel it. That's totally normal. I don't feel it, but what's interesting is feelings tend to follow the movement towards God. So maybe sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't feel it. But every time we take the action step to pursue more of God, let me give you an example. So I was telling you in my own months, uh, in my job as a, as a pastor, I was dealing with some really hard stuff for months. 
And I started to struggle with these little poisonous seeds of bitterness just started to creep in there. And I kind of had, I was actually reading Psalm 73, and, I, and they, that's what stirred me up about I felt like I was praying about the message here. And because um, I was walking this out personally, and I felt like God was um, challenging me on this. And what I did, is, and you should thank God I didn't bring my guitar to sing for you. Uh, you should be very grateful about that. Well, maybe I'll just do it anyway. What do you think? Should I just pull it out? Yes. Lord. No, we won't do that. Um, but I do enjoy playing a little guitar. And for me personally, in a very private way, trust me, private, uh, I find reconnection for me personally through a little bit of guitar with God. And so I did that. You know, I was sitting in my quiet time. I decided because I started seeing this part of my life getting a little bit of bitterness sleeping, sneaking in. And I just, you know, in my morning, I just grabbed my guitar. I just sang to him. And you know what's great is God doesn't care how bad your voice is, right? He doesn't care how great you can play the guitar. I mean, that's are good things. Those are wonderful. But that doesn't give me qualification to connect with God. It's that heart opening up to him. And, and in those moments of bringing my real feelings to God, like, I am frustrated, Lord. I, I am, I'm struggling. I'm angry. I'm whatever that is, bringing it to him. That's the beauty of grace. And for me, with the guitar, I found a space to do that. And it's so critical. That's that, that verse 17 returning moment. There's another verse that I think is really illustrates this idea very, very powerfully. And it's in the New Testament. So we were reading in the Old Testament Psalms. Let's look at the New Testament in the book, from the book of Hebrews. I love this verse. Hebrews 12, 15 from the NLT. Look after each other. I like this. This is the beauty of the church. We're called to look after each other. That's why it is so important to be connected in a community of other people who are following Jesus with you. We're called to look, and I don't mean be judging you up in your business. That's not what I mean. I mean, together, we're all climbing this mountain together. We're all trying to find the expression of what God has. But, but this is Paul saying, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The grace of God. That's what James was talking about earlier, that, that really cool picture of love of God. That love of God is it's crazy love because it's like, it can't, it's, it's unexplainable. You, know, you can't tick God off enough where he'll stop loving. It doesn't work that way. He continues to love you regardless of you want him or you don't want him. That grace is always there and it's waiting. So if you do have something going on in your heart, the good news is you just bring it to him. And he's very, very good at pulling weeds. He's like the master gardener of the heart. He has the ability to reach into your heart and extract hurts, unforgiveness, uh, bitterness roots, whatever has maybe been planted there from years and years ago or more recent, small things and really, really big, heavy things. I had gone through my own personal journey of unforgiveness from people who hurt me when I was very young. And you know what? I'd allow, I'd allow God to wrestle with that part of my heart because that deeply scarred my heart. I'd allow God to pull things out. And still am. I think that's a process for me, a journey. But, but this is what happens with that grace of God is so good. Now watch this. This is the warning from the verse. Watch out that, no, I love that poisonous root of bitterness grows up, grows up to trouble you. Again, the metaphor, the illustration is it's like a seed. And the thing about seeds, when they're planted, they grow, right? Bitterness is the same way. If you've gone through something and you've allowed any bitterness to take root in there, and that thing will get nurtured and watered if, if we don't catch it, and we'll lose our footing because that thing will grow. And then what happens when that grows? We can corrupt others. It's interesting how that impact of, of my bitterness can carry over onto you. There's an impact of, of our relationship, your relationship with each other, with your pastor. If we allow that bitterness to take root, it grows out. It has a way of affecting people all around us. 
Really, really important idea. That's a really good picture. And it was interesting. If you remember the, the climber from the beginning, Yuli, the story I told you, he chose to traverse that mountain all by himself. He was supposed to go with his friend. He chose to go at it alone. And again, so important uh, that we're in church, that you're in a community of people who are on the journey with you for those times you need prayer, those times you need encouragement. Um, just, you know, plug for being in church. I think that's important. I want to illustrate this, this whole idea in one more kind of fun way. So I want to do an experiment. We did this in first services. I don't think we had any accidents. Um, are there any attorneys in the room? Anybody a lawyer? I got to check first because we don't want to get sued here. Um, what I'd like you to do is participate, if you're able, in an exercise with me. This is just, it's just an illustration. Here's what I want you to do. So you'll need to stand up. I want to give you an experience that might cement the illustration. So if you choose to stand up, if you're able, you don't have to do this. This requires balance. So this is a balance exercise. Here's what I want you to do. You're going to, I'm going to give you an exercise to do in two different ways, and I want you to notice the difference between the first time you do it and the second time you do it. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to stand up, and you're going to raise one leg as high as you can. Just, I mean... I mean, just as high as you can, just try to keep your balance, just as high as you can. Now, don't hurt yourself. We don't want anybody to get injured. Just see if you can balance on one leg as high as you can, just, just to do the best of where your ability is. Just, just lift up one leg. So when you're there, now, now I want you to close your eyes. Now, do it with your eyes closed. Just close your eyes and try to balance. Don't hurt yourself. Catch yourself. Now, so keep your eyes closed. You got to do it with your eyes closed. I want you to feel what that feels like, trying to balance with your eyes closed. Keep your eyes and get that leg as high as you can. Notice how your balance is sketchy. Now this time, what I want, let's try it again. This time, I want you to balance on that same leg, but I want you to focus on the speaker. Stare at the speaker, these speakers up here. Go on one foot and just stare at those speakers. And see if that affects your balance better. Do you notice a difference? <laughs> and holding a chair helps too. <laughs> difference in being disoriented. It's very difficult to maintain balance. You may be seated. Thank you. It's very difficult to maintain balance when you're disoriented in the darkness. When you cannot see, when you cannot see, and there's nothing to grasp onto, and you're completely disoriented, it's very hard to stay balanced, and it's very easy to lose your footing. That's the point of that illustration. I wanted you to feel it like emotionally, what it feels like. Because that's what a lot of us do in life. We're, we're, we're disoriented. Because maybe we started looking around. We started blaming. Maybe pride gets in the way. Maybe things are in, a, in the way. Uh, we, we go victim. We uh, allow bitterness in. And then all of a sudden, we're completely disconnected and distorted in our perception of who God is. And we lose hope. Our, our, remember the psalmist said, I'm all torn up on the inside. I love the imagery that the psalmist used. I'm torn up. I have no peace inside. No peace that's a horrible place to be when you don't feel peace. But in the returning to God's presence, there's the beauty of restoring hope, restoring peace, and restoring everything God has for you in this life. I want to give you three tips before we go into prayer to consider. Just the three things to remember. The first one is this. Presence is always the point. Presence is always the point. It's a saying we use at our church that I really like. Our lead pastor came up with that. I don't know if he came up with it, but he says it a lot, and I really like it. Presence is always the point. What does that mean? It's always about God's presence. 
It's a life that is intentionally, actively pursuing the presence of God. You know what's so cool about your pastor in the years that I've known him? He is somebody who really gets this. He's a great role model because he pursues radically the presence of God. He and his wife, they go after God when things are hard. And I know he's been through some stuff. When things are difficult or when things are good, he continuously, regularly pursues the presence of God. So he's a great example to you as a pastor. You're very fortunate to have a pastor that gets that. He really loves Jesus, and he goes for it. Yeah, he, you can pay me afterwards, James, for that. I'll give you that. Give me the 10. He paid me a cent. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, but, but he's a good picture of what I'm saying in that, pursuing the presence of God. You know, for me, I had to find, and it's different for different lives, right? So some people, maybe music's not your thing. Maybe it's just being alone in nature, or maybe it's in your car, or maybe it's, it's, it's doing whatever your personal thing is. Somehow, there's a pathway for you to connect to the presence of God. Maybe you're into poetry. Maybe you're into writing. Maybe you're into reading. Maybe you're intellectual. Whatever it is for you, maybe it's running. Find God's presence. It's always the point, because your protection from slippage is always in the presence, because when we can go back into the presence, God will show us. That's what, that's what I've learned even in the last six months. Because of pursuing him, he's like, oh, wow, i got a little bitterness growing up in there. Let's deal with that, God. Pull that weed out, Lord. <laughs> take that weed. Take that thing. Pull that out. It's the, the presence that protects us from slippage on that mountain. And the third, the third, the third tip or the third idea, the third reminder is, is I want to invite you to make a, ver- make a space in your life for presence regularly and consistently. If if you're going to make your life about following Jesus, it's critical uh, to your life in Jesus that you make space for just you and him. Now, definitely that happens in the church. That happens in the church, but it also happens, should happen outside of the church where he calls you to himself. He just wants to interact with you constantly. That means in your life, whatever your thing is, whatever you do, whatever your life circumstance looks like, he invites you to just pursue me, talk to me interact with me. I want to know how you feel. You know, what's cool about God is you can be raw and you can be real. Because God can't connect with something that's fake, meaning I'll be all super religious person. That doesn't work with God. He can see right past that. He wants to connect to the real person. How do you really feel? What's really going on inside? Maybe you don't even know. That's that connection with Jesus. He will bring that out. And he will extract the weeds. He will take anything that's distorting your ability to connect with him. Because that is his consuming passion, is being with you. Consuming passion of God is to connect with you. So here's what we're going to do. I, uh, my wife Christy and I are here. And if you want prayer, uh, and we're going to go into some worship. This is a little space, like I was saying. Remember how the psalmist, verse 17, he went right back to the temple. Like, this is kind of that moment for you. Maybe you need to get your footing right again. Maybe you've been slipping, you've been sliding down the hill, and you're just like, man, I gotta re, I gotta get my footing. I gotta get my footing right. I would love to pray for you. You don't have to tell me as much as you want, but I would love to pray for you. I would pray for you personally. Christy will pray for you. Uh, I'm sure Pastor James would pray for you. Whatever you need, we're gonna invite you up in just a moment if you want prayer. But let me say this too. If you're new here, or if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I wanna invite you to consider the slope that your life is on. You know, the connected life is the life that flourishes. As I said earlier, you were made in God's image. And there's an invitation for you to come and be restored and reconnected to your true identity as a son or a daughter of the living God. 
There's a plan and a purpose for your life that's far greater than you even realize. So I want to gently and warmly invite you to consider connecting with Jesus. And it's as simply as inviting him in. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to have all the answers. You may not even know what to say. It's just, here I am. Lord, I'm interested. I'm open. You know, I got, I got stuff in my life. It's, I don't got it figured out. But I'm willing. That's all you got to do because he does the work. The thing about climbing the mountain of God is that you're not on your own. He helps you. Put your foot here. Foothold here. Foothold here. Hold here. Foothold here. When you walk with him, but you got to talk to him. You got to interact with him. Try to do it on your own. But with him, he wants to take you to great heights. That's who he is. I want to pray for you generally, and then I want to invite you to come up. Christy, Pastor James, myself, would love to pray for you. If there's anything that's stirring for you this morning, move on that. God's pulling and stirring a memory up, saying, I want to take this today. I want you to be a little bit freer. I want you to be a little bit closer to me. I would love to pray for you. So let me just kind of do a general prayer, and then you'll be welcome. We'll be up here to pray if you need that. So God, as we go into a space of worship, and we do what the psalmist is teaching us in verse 17, we return to the temple. We return to the presence, God. Your presence is thick, and your presence is real, and it's right here, and it's right now. Anybody in here this morning, Lord, who needs to have something plucked, something plucked from the heart, that gentle, nurturing, healing power of the Holy Spirit, I pray, would come and flow over the heart of somebody. Father, invite somebody to take that next step, whether that's an invitation to know Jesus as as the Savior, the beginning, or it's just I need some healing, or somebody needs to let go of something they've been holding on to for a long time. Lord, if there's somebody who's carrying something that goes back years and years, any seeds of bitterness that took root, I pray that you would set that person free this morning. And in their own personal way, they would connect with you. If there are barriers, Lord, I pray you would remove every barrier that keeps people from connecting to you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for this time and this space to connect with you. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. Now, you are invited to come. You're invited to worship. We can pray for you. We would love to do that. So we're just going to go into some worship now. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.